on a very special episode of Over the Culture. It's August 4th, 2019. Today I'll have my first interview with my close personal friend, my president, our president, Barack Hussein Obama. Also going to go across the lines with him and Jackie Robinson. Hate our appreciation for their president, dumb Donald Trump, as money can buy you a lot of things, but you can't buy clout from the culture. And the beast unleashes, but has to tame himself afterwards out of respect for the moms. Across the country and around the world, across the street and around the corner, this is Over the Culture. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Over the Culture Podcast. We get to hear my spin on things I like, like music, sports, sports entertainment, movies, TV shows, and your mom, and your mom's mom, and your mom's mom's mom. You also get to hear about things I don't like. Like that uncooked hot dog hair hat of a president whose expiration date was somewhere in the 90s when rappers thought it was still cool to name drop him in the song. Hello everyone, I am your bastard of ceremonies, the one gig kid, Pat Stay Black, Reefer Sutherland, Steve G, and this is over the culture. So on Wednesday, I found out that uh, my great-grandmother is no longer with us, and I am taking the news, and I took the news uh, better than I had anticipated. My grandmother was 91, and we were blessed, and she was blessed uh, to be on this earth for that long. Uh, 91 years is a long time. My grandmother has experienced a lot. You know, she was born and raised in Mississippi uh, in, in the 20s, and she eventually moved to Ohio. Uh, her and my great-grandfather, her husband, and uh, you know, they, they set up shop there, and they that's where they lived ever since. My great-grandfather, he had worked in Alaska for some years and my grandmother she held the fort down she took care of all the things that needed to be taken care of around the house and uh, you know maintain the family we all always go to her house for you know holidays whether it's Thanksgiving Christmas uh, 4th of July or Memorial Day Labor Day uh, that's where we go my grandmother was a great cook that was one of her favorite things to do and you know, I, I I feel she spoiled I, she spoiled me because you know I was raised off of her food and you don't know how great someone's cooking is until you start eating other people's food. But um, yeah, my, my grandmother she she's the greatest cook in my opinion, and she she was 91 and she was um ready she, she was ready my grandmother was in a lot of pain uh, mentally physically she was in and out of the hospital uh, between that and going to the nursing home and I, I hated to see her in that much pain and I, I think that's a big reason why I'm able to accept this better than like I said I was anticipating uh, I don't want to see my grandmother go I, you know I want my grandma to be here forever but 
I, unfortunately, I know that's not how life works. And it would be selfish of me to want to keep her here on earth when she doesn't want to be here anymore. Uh, you know, she's saying herself she's ready. Um, you know, she's just, she's exhausted. Um, I, you, you never want to see your loved ones go. Um, you also don't want to see them in pain. And my grandmother experienced a lot. She came up in the South during the Jim Crow times. And times were probably hard on, on black people back then, especially in the deep South, in Mississippi. She's seen a lot of progress from the Jim Crow days uh, till seeing our, our first black president. So that was a blessing for her to be able to experience that, her and my great-grandfather. Uh, we have a big family and she was an important figure in that family. One of the things I like to do when I talk to my grandmother is make her laugh. Me and her like to reminisce I like to reminisce, she likes to reminisce. To good times, back when me and her would walk across the street to get ice cream on the, in the summer. Watching our favorite reruns of sitcoms, watching Sanford and Son, Golden Girls. The Andy Griffith Show, Dick Van Dyke, I Love Lucy, that was another one of her favorites. She's a big reason why I got into wrestling. You know, me and her would watch these shows, watch, uh, you know, primetime wrestling or WWF superstars. And, you know, she'd be right, watching it right along with me. And she would always give her opinion. Now, how did that man just gonna sit there and let him hit him like that? And I would explain to her, well, grandma, it's because, you know, he's unconscious. He just put his finisher move on him and, you know, now he's out. He can't even move. And even though she'd be critical of it, she'd still watch it along with me. And those, those are some of my favorite memories. Uh, me and her, we also like to put puzzles together. We'd go to the store, get a brand new puzzle. Couldn't wait to un unopen that box. That fresh jigsaw puzzle smell. And it was a fun time putting new puzzles together. Oh, I wonder what this one's going to look like when we're done. And puzzles was a, another hobby of hers that she loved to do. Jigsaw puzzles and crossword puzzles. My grandmother was an amazing woman. I, I always was amazed by her. I, I look at her as somewhat of a magical figure. She was always angelic to me. You know, despite everything she's been through, everything that she's, you know, she's lost, you know, most of her siblings. She, she saw her husband pass, her only child pass. Both of her parents had passed long ago. Uh, her friends that she'd go to church with, most of them are gone. And she was a woman of steel. I only saw her cry once uh, when she lost her only child, my grandmother. And she, she's tough as rocks, tougher than rocks. And I, I've always looked at her as an angelic person who never really, I never seen her sweat, never seen her really afraid of things. And I remember whenever there'd be a, 
a thunderstorm, you know, with strong lightning. I'd be afraid. Me and my cousins would scramble. Oh, let's go in the basement. And my grandma would just be like, you know, when it's your time, it's your time. What's the use of hiding? What's the use of running? When, you, when it's your time, hey, there's nothing you can do about it. And that was always her, her outlook on it because she was, you know, never scared. And I admire that about my grandmother. She was so connected and spiritual, connected to the Lord that she knew that whatever happens, she knew she had a good relationship with her maker. And I know she's looking down upon us now. Um, if she isn't up there, I know I don't have a shot. Um, because my grandmother, I know no one is perfect, but she's damn near perfect. A great mother, great grandmother. She put the great and great grandmother, great sister, great aunt, an awesome great aunt and great great aunt, great daughter to her parents. Her and her siblings would help the family around the house growing up in Mississippi and they had a farm. You know, some of her brothers would tend to the animals. She would help with the gardening. And, you know, she had a green thumb. My grandmother had a green thumb without taking any horticulture classes. Didn't go to college for any of that. But she had a whole garden in her backyard when I was growing up of different vegetables and fruit trees, apples, pears. And the produce would be just as good as the produce in the grocery store, if not better. And she just did things nonchalantly. She would make these great meals every holiday, just about every day, like it was nothing. Things that people watch the Food Network to do, look at YouTube clips to do, go to school at culinary classes. But she knew this was like second nature to her. She was excellent at several things. Watching Food Network, I, I look at some of that stuff and I often think, man, yeah, my grandma could do, she could probably do better. I'm sure she could do better. Yeah, my grandma can do that, but probably better. I'm not saying my grandma was the only good cook, but she did have the, the bar raised pretty high for me. If I was eating food that wasn't made by my grandma, I'd be skeptical about it because I knew how things were supposed to taste. She would have these little nuances about her that make her unique even more so, like eating ice cream with a fork. And still to this day, I eat ice cream with a fork to honor her. Um, it's, it's a way of me showing my remembrance and my, my love for my grandmother. She would also hold conversations without even saying anything. Like I would be watching TV and she'd be on the phone and all I'd hear for about five minutes is mm, 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 And she would have different variations of it. And that would be like, oh man, it's, it's my grandma being my grandma. And, uh, I, I'm gonna miss that. And those kind of memories never leave me. 
So, you know, whenever I watch Sanford and Son reruns, I'm going to be thinking about my grandma. Uh, whenever I eat ice cream, I'm going to eat it with a fork because I'm going to be remembering my grandma. And she's one of those people where you had to experience it. I could tell you about her and, you know, you wouldn't really be able to take it all in unless you met her and you experience her in endearing spirit. She had a warming aura about her, a welcoming aura. She often have guests come by, whether it was friends from church, one of her sisters, one of her brothers, you know, one of her nieces, nephews, great nieces, nephews. A lot of people stop by to visit my grandma, sometimes, a lot of times just to talk. And you never wanted to leave that house because she's just that sweet. You never wanted to leave her. I never wanted to leave her. You know, I wish I could just be able to shrink my grandma, put her in my pocket, and take her with me wherever I go. Take her on the plane with me, take her on road trips. And then when I got to my destination, bring her back to full life again. But yeah, she, she passed at the age of 91 and um, I'm able to take it uh, better than I thought I would because I, I, I hated seeing her in pain. Um, she just, she wasn't through, she's been through a lot. And um, the thing about death, uh, we have this unfavorable look at it because it, it represents the end. And the thing about it is, how do we know it's so bad? No one knows from experience. No one on earth knows from experience. And the people who do know now, uh, no one's come back and, t and told them how it is. You know, it could be way better than what they experience here on earth. We never know. The thing about death, it's painful for the people who are still here because we lost someone. It represents the end for us, but it might mean the beginning for them. And I, that's what I like to believe because my grandmother, with her spirit, with her soul, man, she deserves to be in a place that's loving and heavenly for eternity. She deserves that because she was so giving, so selfless dedicated her whole life to giving her time, her love, her attention to her family, to her friends, people she cared about. She always spoke of her mother and father in a good light. She honored her father and mother. She showed respect for people like she wanted to be respected. She was that sweet lady in church that always had peppermints in her in her purse. Um, yeah. Shout out to my grandma, Ari B. Blakely, one of a kind. There's none before you, and there'll be none after. I'm thankful to. Uh, be your great-grandson 
and I'm thankful to have spent this much time with you here on earth. Um, I'm thankful for you to be here for this long on earth. No matter what, you, you've always been on my mind uh, and in my heart. And you will continue to be Ari B. Blakely. So yesterday I wake up and I find out that there is a shooting here in Texas, down in El Paso. And later that night, when I lay down, I find out that there's a shooting back home in my home state of Ohio, in Dayton. And this has become more of an American pastime than baseball, perpetuating the cycle that seems so familiar. The cycle of mass shooting onto thoughts and prayers, onto social media debates on Facebook, Twitter, onto everyone just forgetting, and then onto Congress does nothing, and onto crickets chirping, back to mass shooting, thoughts and prayers, Facebook debates, everyone forgets, Congress does nothing, crickets chirping. Mass shooting, thoughts and prayers, Facebook debates, everyone forgets, Congress does nothing crickets chirping and when will it end so in El Paso 20 people were killed and dozens more injured when a gunman opened fire near a shopping center in El Paso Texas during the busy back-to-school shopping season Texas governor Greg Abbott said Saturday 26 people including two children were wounded most of them taken to nearby hospitals with varying degrees of injuries Abbott said the victims identities have not yet been released Three Mexican officials are among the dead and another six among the injured, Mexican officials said late Saturday. No first responders were among those killed or injured. At 10.39 a.m., police received a 911 call about an active shooter scene near the Cielo Vista Mall, which is near Interstate 10 on the east side of the city. It took six minutes from the time the first 911 call was placed until officers arrived on the scene. Law enforcement officials identified the suspect as 21-year-old Patrick Crucius of Allen, Texas. Police believe the suspect may have been armed with a rifle. Crucius was booked at the downtown jail on capital murder charges, and the district attorney's office has announced that his office will seek the death penalty against Crucius. The El Paso police chief said authorities are examining what he called a manifesto that they believe was written by the shooter and shows a possible nexus to a hate crime. An eyewitness told ABC News Radio in an interview that the shooter was dressed in cargo pants and wore ear protection. She said he began to fire in the parking lot and saw him shoot multiple people in cold blood. From there, she said the shooter walked into the store. She characterized his demeanor as calm and confident, as though he was on a mission. And later that evening, in Dayton, Ohio, we have another mass shooting with nine victims killed. The suspect at gunman, 24-year-old Connor Stephen Betts of Bellbrook, Ohio, is also dead. Authorities said he was fatally shot by responding officers. Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley said he was wearing body armor, carrying a 223 caliber rifle, and had additional high-capacity magazines with him. Police believe Betts was the only shooter and have not yet identified a motive. This was the second mass shooting in less than 24 hours following the El Paso mass shooting that left 20 dead. 
Dayton police patrolling the area responded in less than a minute to the shooting, which unfolded around 1 a.m. Sunday on the streets of the Oregon District, Willie said at a press conference. There are at least 27 people being treated for the injuries, and at least 15 of those have been released. Several more remain in serious or critical condition, local hospital officials said at the news conference. They said some of the people suffered multiple gunshot wounds and others were injured as they fled. That's two mass shootings within a 24-hour time span. And they're both from America. One from Allen, Texas, the other from Bellbrook, Ohio, born and raised. They're not immigrants, people. And people are still hollering about building the wall to save us from these evil immigrants who are coming to take our jobs, rape our women, and kill us. Man. I feel like I've heard this before. So one shooter's dead, one could possibly get the death penalty. Who's the real problem? Who's the real threat? We're so concerned about building a wall to protect us from these evil immigrants. When are we gonna build a wall for these empowered radical white men who wanna play Halo in crowded social settings? They're doing it for their love of your president. They want to profess their love for dumb Donald. They want to show their allegiance. They want to show how much they're down for their dumb ass president. They want to make themselves martyrs. They want to make themselves urban legends and heroes for the Klansmen, for the neo-Nazis, for the skinheads, the Aryan nation, the MAGA hats. They feel justified because they have a gun and they're white and they're men. And I use that term loosely. People in El Paso were murdered in a Walmart parking lot. Can you imagine that? Putting your groceries in the car, not realizing that that'll be your last time going to a grocery store. And some of the Mexicans that he killed were born in America. How about that? So your mission is based solely on race. Anything brown off it. Women, children, don't matter. Born here, born there, who cares? And you Trump supporters who claim you're not racist, how about you speak out on stuff like this? This is your golden opportunity, even though it doesn't change anything. Instead of whining about, oh, we're not all racist, we're not all discriminatory. Hey, stop being so mute when unarmed innocent people are getting slaughtered out here in broad daylight. This is your time to speak out. You have an opinion about everything else. You're ready to speak your, your mind on everything else. Drop your little funky two cents on everything else. Hey. But we already know what that's about. It's unfortunate that it came to this. But uh, our, our guy in El Paso, he's going to meet his fate. Instead of giving him the death penalty, he should just get a life sentence in the brown section where they can show him so much love and maybe they can educate him on their culture yeah you wanted to be around us so much you wanted to drive from Dallas all the way to El Paso well hey you're going to get to know us a lot better now buddy it's got to end sometime I mean 
it's 2019 and people are still getting away and doing the same things and thinking the same way like they did in the early 1900s. Still with that mindset. It, it really bothers me that he was able to get arrested without issue. When you have people getting taken down on the ground, getting choked out for selling cigarettes, for having too dark of a tent on their windows, for having a broken tail light, getting shot, for little knick-knack, inconveniences, speeding ticket. Oh, I gotta shoot you now. This funky cracker walks into a crowded store with a rifle already just slaughtering people in broad daylight. And he's just politely taken into the to the back of the cop car. Yeah, but we know what that is. It's nothing new. I feel like the death penalty will put him out of his misery. He doesn't deserve that. That's a quick escape. That's a quick fix. Should he die, of course. But he needs to be punished. He needs to live with the choices he made. The same way he made those families feel yesterday. He needs to feel that pain. And I shouldn't be talking like this on a Sunday, you know, but things like this shouldn't happen at all. Yesterday, the NFL had their annual Pro Football Hall of Fame ceremony, and the class of 2019 is Tony Gonzalez, Ed Reed, Champ Bailey, Ty Law, Kevin Mawai, Pat Bolin, Gil Brandt, and Johnny Robinson. They were selected into the Pro Football Hall of Fame by a 48-member selection committee and announced on February 2, 2019. Including the 2019 class, there are now a total of 326 members of the Hall of Fame. This is a solid group of inductees, some next level athleticism. You got Champ Bailey and Ty Law, two shutdown defenders, Ty Law winning three Super Bowls with the systematic New England Patriots. You got Ed Reed, one of the greatest safeties of all time, won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. And then you have Tony Gonzalez, who some could say is the greatest tight end of all time. I'm just more partial to Shannon Sharp, that's my guy. Cause he be on the mouth and hen dog skip. But yeah, Tony Gonzalez, man, he had a solid career. Consistently made it to the Pro Bowl. During his time, at least, he was definitely the, the best tight end. That wasn't Jason Witten. But anyways, congratulations to all those guys. And something worth mentioning is that, uh, I guess during the ceremony on one of the days, they hand out Hall of Fame polos for all the inductees to wear so they can all be dressed in unison. But Ed Reed declined. Uh, he preferred wearing a t-shirt that had uh, the faces of several unarmed, innocent black men killed on his t-shirt to send a message. And 
that's a sign of someone being for the culture. Hey, here's this polo that Emmett Smith and Barry Sanders and Thurman Thomas and all those guys all wore when they came. No, I'm good. I want to use this opportunity to say something. Shout out to Ed Reed, man. Someone else who's always been for the culture is Marshawn Beast Mode Lynch. And he recently made the headlines because uh, apparently he's holding a kids football camp in Seattle and some of the mothers who stood by and watched took issue to his coaching and training methods. There's a video circulating the internet where one of the mothers is confronting Marshawn Lynch for cursing and being sexist. Um, apparently he was being too hard on the kids and was even heard yelling get the fuck out to some of them for not trying hard enough. And there, there were children as young as nine at the football camp. So one of the moms, uh, her name is Stephanie Siva, she confronted Lynch about his language and she threw her son's jersey towards him and just walked away. The running back then followed the mom in an attempt to defuse the situation. During the encounter, Lynch can be heard asking if there's a man here with you. And Lynch continued, there's no disrespect. I understand I'm not gonna be able to please everybody. Now these kids probably didn't expect to get cursed and yelled at by Marshawn Lynch. They were probably expecting to work out, maybe learn some things from a famous athlete who they probably look up to, who they probably admire, and their feelings get hurt, and their their moms, rightfully so, are out there to protect them, to protect their sons. But Marshawn later explains that, hey, if these kids want to continue playing football or any organized sport, they're going to get yelled at by the coaches, the assistant coaches, by other players they're going to get cursed at by the fans so he's just toughing them up and when he asked the mother if he has a man with her it wasn't to be sexist it's just hey he's not going to argue with the mom out of respect because that's the kind of man he is and maybe if the father was there or if the husband or a male figure that has experience playing in organized sports he would more than likely understand from a player's perspective, that that's what happens. And the further you go in sports, if you make it to the pros, it's gonna be even more yelling and cursing from people that you don't even know. So he's just toughing them up. I think his heart was in the right place. It's just, he's just too passionate. And to some of those kids and some of those mothers, it didn't translate as such. So instead of yelling at one of these moms, and making a scene, you know, I think that'll make things worse. That'll make me look like even more of an asshole. So he didn't want to do that. He really wanted to defuse the situation. And if you look at the video, you can see he's trying to be humble about this. Like, hey, he, he's being respectful of the mom. And he's simply trying to let her know that, hey, I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. I'm not trying to make things harder on your sons. But if they really want to play this sport, they need to get ready for what's to come. This is just a sample of what they're going to have to endure. And Marshawn Lynch, someone who is for the culture, for the people, he understands that some of those kids don't have that in their household. They don't have that voice to toughen them up. 
So for that time while they're on the field, he wants to be that guy. And unfortunately, a lot of those moms and those kids, you know, they're too young to understand that. Marshawn understands that some of those kids probably don't have that father figure or male figure in their household, in their life. So for that time while they're on the field, he's volunteering to be that person to toughen them up, to yell at them, to get them ready. Not just for being an athlete later in life, but for life. Kids need that. Whether it's a uncle, grandfather, older cousin, or a coach. Marshawn Lynch, someone who has always been for the culture, always been for the people, he understands that. And we here at Over the Culture, we understand that. Even though he's talking to an angry mother who probably wants to rip his face off, he still has the presence of mind to try to explain it in the best way he can. He doesn't want to be disrespectful of the mothers. He loves his mother too much. He was that kid at one point. Shout out to Marshawn Lynch, man. We understand. We get it. It's just his passion for those kids, his passion for the sport and wanting to do for his community, wanting to do for his people, it probably just doesn't translate as well to the moms and some of those kids, you know, because they're too young to really grasp it. They just see a, a, a grown man yelling and cussing at them. I've never met Marshawn Lynch, but I'm pretty sure it was coming from a good place. history. In 1936, American athlete Jesse Owens wins his second gold medal at the Berlin Olympics, beating Germany in the long jump final with an Olympic record and pissing off Adolf Hitler in the process. In 1980, Maury Willis becomes only the third black manager in MLB history when Daryl Johnson is fired by Seattle Mariners after a nine-game losing streak. In 1982, outfielder Joel Youngblood becomes the only MLB player to get hits for two different teams in two different cities on the same day. He singled for the Mets in Chicago's day game. He was traded. Then he singled for the Expos in the Philadelphia night game. In 1984, American athlete Carl Lewis wins the 100 meter in 9.9 .9 seconds in Los Angeles, the first of nine Olympic gold medals over three games. In 1985, New York Yankees retired champion baseball Hall of Fame shortstop Phil Rizzuto's number 10. In 1985, future Hall of Fame infielder Rod Carew of the California Angels singles off Minnesota's Frank Viola to collect his MLB 3,000th career hit. The Angels win 6-5. In 1986, after winning only token damages in the antitrust lawsuit against the NFL, the USFL owners vote to suspend operations for the 1986 season. They fold it before the fourth season. In 1993, Tony Gwynn of the San Diego Padres gets six hits in an 11-10 win versus the Giants, the fourth time that season that the Padre had five or more hits, tying an MLB record. In 1995, following a suspension from the league for substance abuse, former Mets outfielder Daryl Strawberry joins New York Yankees and eventually helps the Bronx Bombers to win the 1996 World Series. In 2007, 
San Francisco slugger Barry Bonds homers off Clay Hensley in the second inning of a 3-2 loss to San Diego to tie Hank Aaron's 33-year-old MLB career home run record of 755. Asterix. The same day in 2007, 32-year-old Alex Rodriguez becomes the youngest player in MLB history to hit 500 home runs, connecting on the first pitch he sees as New York Yankees beat Kansas City 16-8. Asterix. In 2010, on the third anniversary of his 500th MLB career home run, Alex Rodriguez reaches the 600 home run mark in the New York Yankees 5-1 win versus Toronto, seventh and youngest to reach the milestone. Asterix. And in 2012, the U.S. takes the 4x100-meter relay double at the London Olympics, with Michael Phelps collecting his 18th Olympic gold medal. And that was my half-assed sports report. When we come back, we're going to have our very first interview here at Over the Culture, and it's a special one. You're going to want to listen because it's none other than Barack Obama. He's my close personal friend. We talk like all the time. I swear. Yeah, I'm going to get him on the phone and we're going to wish him a happy birthday. We're also going to go across the lines with Barack Obama and Jackie Robinson. We'll be black after these messages. In today's birthdays, Happy birthday to the Sprouse twins, Cole and Dylan Sprouse, famous for their title roles in the show, The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. They also played the kid in Big Daddy that kept saying, I wipe my own ass. Yeah, they turned 27. Basketball player, former Cleveland Cavalier, Marie Spates turns 32. Actress, humanitarian, and member of the British family that we're supposed to care about, Meghan Markle turns 38 today. Also 38 is singer, songwriter, producer, and actor Marcus Houston. Go home, Roger. Race car driver Kurt Busch turns 41. Also, race car driver and actor Jeff Gordon turns 48. Singer, songwriter, and guitarist for the band Soulfly, Max Cavalera turns 50. Retired baseball player and steroid popper, Roger Clemens turns 57. American lawyer, politician, 44th president of the United States, Nobel Prize laureate Barack Hussein Obama, the second turns 58. Actor, director, and screenwriter Billy Bob Thornton turns 64, and actor and comedian Richard J. Belzer turns 75. Happy birthday, guys. Are you tired of being called the beanpole? Are you mad at your memories? Have they been mistaken for mosquito bites? Does your push-up bra need a push-up bra? Too embarrassed to wear a bikini at the beach because everyone will think you're a boy in drag? To that I say, OBGY, are you allowing yourself to suffer when the Itty Bitty Titty Committee is here to help you? Itty Bitty Titty Committee. IBTC is an outreach program dedicated to providing counseling and therapy sessions for women who weren't gifted with guns. For those who really want implants but can't afford them at the moment. In the meantime, we'll boost your confidence with affirmation training, gymnastic therapy, and group hugs. Micromastia is no laughing matter. It has become one of the leading factors of stress for women aged 25 to 40 in the last eight days. Stress can lead to depression, and as we know, depression can get the breast of us. You're not the only one with lowercase a cups. There's a whole community out there ready and available to help you in your time of need. Call 1-800-419-IBTC. Itty bitty titty committee. Thank you.
and a special mention to those no longer with us. This past week, we lost wrestling legend Harley Race. Harley Leland Race was born April 11, 1943. His decorated career include World Heavyweight Championships from numerous companies that include All Japan Pro Wrestling, All-Star Pro Wrestling, Central States Wrestling, and the National Wrestling Alliance. He was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2004, and he was inducted into the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame and Museum twice, once in 2004 by himself and in 2017 as part of a tag team with Larry the Axe Henning. He died on August 1st, 2019 from lung cancer at the age of 76. Louis Vuitton, born August 4, 1821 in Anche, Europe, France, was a French fashion designer and businessman. He was the founder of Leather Goods, now owned by LVMH, which is a merger of Louis Vuitton and Moet Hennessy. He died on February 27, 1892. Louis Armstrong, born August 4, 1901 in New Orleans, Louisiana, was a famous American trumpet player, composer, vocalist, and occasional actor who was considered one of the most influential figures in jazz. His career spanned five decades from the 1920s to the 1960s. Armstrong was known for his stage presence and raspy voice, almost as much for his trumpet playing. He's widely regarded as a profound influence on popular music in general. His music made a huge impact during the historic Harlem Renaissance, being known as the world's greatest trumpet player. He was one of the first truly popular African-American entertainers to cross over to a white audience in an America that was extremely racially divided at the time, and even took a well-publicized stand for desegregation in the Little Rock crisis. As a protest, Armstrong canceled a planned tour of the Soviet Union on behalf of the State Department, saying the way they're treating my people in the South, the government can go to hell, and that he could not represent his government abroad when it was in conflict with its own people. The FBI kept a file on Armstrong for his outspokenness about integration. A strong advocate for marijuana, he spent most of his life smoking it and spent nine days in jail in 1930 after being arrested for drug possession outside a club. Against his doctor's advice, Armstrong played a two-week engagement in March 1971 at the Waldorf Astorio Empire Room. At the end of it, he was hospitalized for a heart attack. He was released from the hospital in May and quickly resumed practicing his trumpet playing. Still hoping to get back on the road, Armstrong died of a heart attack in his sleep on July 6, 1971. He was interred in Flushing Cemetery, Flushing in Queens, New York City. His honorary pallbearers include Bing Crosby, Ella Fitzgerald, Dizzy Gillespie, Pearl Bailey, Count Basie, Harry James, Frank Sinatra, Ed Sullivan, Earl Watson, Alan King, Johnny Carson, and David Frost. He was posthumously awarded the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1972 by the Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences. Today, Barack Obama turns 58. He was born August 4th, 1961 in Honolulu, Hawaii, which last I checked was a part of these United States. After earning his bachelor's from Columbia University and his Juris Doctorate from Harvard University, he would accept a two-year position as visiting law and government fellow at the University of Chicago Law School to work on his first book. He also taught law there for 12 years, first as a lecturer and then later as a senior lecturer. After serving as an Illinois state senator from 1997 to 2004, he would eventually become a United States senator after he won the 2004 general election, taking 70% of the vote.
Obama was sworn in as the United States Senator of Illinois in January of 2005, making him the only Senate member of the Congressional Black Caucus. Four years later, he would make history when he was sworn in as the 44th president and the first black president in January of 2009, taking 52% of the popular vote to John McCain's 45. And four years after that, he would make even more history when he was inaugurated for the second time in January of 2013, winning 51% of the popular vote against Mitt Romney. Barack Obama became the first Democratic president since Franklin D. Roosevelt to win majority of the popular vote twice. History was also made in January of 1919 in Cairo, Georgia, when sharecroppers Malley and Jerry Robinson welcomed to the world their fifth child, whom they named Jack Roosevelt Robinson, better known as Jackie. And that leads us to Across the Lines. He would step across the line. Habitually. He's a habitual line stepper. Line stepper. Jackie Robinson's middle name, Roosevelt, was in honor of former president and fifth cousin of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, who died 25 days before Jackie was born. Robinson's father left the family in 1920, and they moved to Pasadena, California. Growing up in relative poverty in an otherwise affluent community, Robinson and his black friends were excluded from many recreational opportunities. However, when he enrolled at John Muir High School, his older brothers Mac and Frank urged Jackie to pursue his interest in sports, as they recognized his athletic talents at an early age. He played football as a quarterback, basketball as a guard, the broad jump with the track and field squad, and shortstop and catcher on the baseball team, all on the varsity level. After high school, Jackie attended Pasadena Junior College, where he continued playing all four sports. While there, he would show his impatience with authority figures he perceived as racist, a character trait that would resurface repeatedly in his life. On January 25, 1938, he was arrested after vocally disputing the detention of a black friend by police. Jackie received a two-year suspended sentence, and this incident, along with other rumored run-ins with the police, gave Robinson a reputation for combativeness in the face of racial antagonism. Towards the end of his tenure at Pasadena Junior College, Jackie would lose his brother Frank in a motorcycle accident. This inspired Jackie to take his athletic talents to the University of California, Los Angeles, or UCLA, where he could remain closer to Frank's family. While there, he became the school's first athlete to win varsity letters in four sports, baseball, basketball, football, and track. He would meet his future wife, Rachel Isom, his senior year at UCLA. He left college just shy of graduation, despite the reservations of his mother and Rachel. Around this time, Japan had attacked Pearl Harbor, bringing the United States into World War II. Jackie was drafted into the military, and though he saw no combat action, he did serve as a coach for Army Athletics until receiving an honorable discharge in 1944. There, he met a former player for the Kansas City Monarchs of the Negro American League, who encouraged Robinson to write the Monarchs and ask for a tryout. The Monarchs sent him a written offer to play professional baseball in the Negro Leagues. Robinson accepted a contract for $400 per month. Although he played well in the Negro League, Jackie grew frustrated with the lack of organization and the influence that gambling had on the game. This would push him into pursuing the major leagues, even though it had only consisted of white players at the time. Branch Rickey, club president and general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers, was in fact proactively seeking black players to sign to the major league. Ricky selected Robinson out of a list of promising black players and interviewed him in a famous three-hour exchange. He wanted to make sure Jackie could withstand the inevitable racial abuse that would be directed at him without getting baited into it. 
Robinson asked him if he was looking for a Negro who was afraid to fight back. Ricky replied that he needed a Negro player with guts enough to not fight back. After Robinson agreed, Ricky signed him to a contract for $600 a month, equal to $8,350 today. Jackie Robinson became the first black baseball player in the International League since the 1880s. When he arrived at Daytona Beach for spring training, he soon saw his presence wasn't welcome. He wasn't allowed to stay with his white teammates at the team hotel, and he instead stayed at the hotel of a local black politician. In 1947, the Dodgers called Robinson up to the major leagues six days before the start of the season. He made his major league debut on opening day, April 15th, against the Boston Braves at Ebbets Field, breaking the major league baseball color line. The crowd consisted of only 26,623 spectators, but more than 14,000 of whom were black. That day, he failed to get a base hit, but he did get a walk and scored a run as the Dodgers won 5-3. More importantly, Jackie was the central figure of something historic. Robinson would continue to have a successful major league career, winning Rookie of the Year, elected to six All-Star appearances, the National League batting champion, National League MVP, two-time National League stolen base leader, winning the World Series in 1955, and getting inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1962. His number 42 is even retired by all Major League Baseball teams. The most recent player to wear the number was closer Mariana Rivera of the New York Yankees, who was inducted into this year's Hall of Fame. And Jackie Robinson Day is celebrated each year on April 15th as every player in the league wears the number 42 to honor Jackie. He knew that he would experience racism and resistance, which he did, but he also knew that this was the price he had to pay in order to be the first. Just like Jackie Robinson's debut brought black spectators to the parks in record numbers, the 2008 election brought the black voters to the booth in record numbers. For the first time, younger blacks voted in greater proportions than whites, and black women turned out a higher rate than any other racial, ethnic, and gender group. Barack Obama experienced similar hurdles, being the first black president in the United States of America. Both Barack and Jackie had to learn how to handle the pressures of being the first. Obama was often referred to as a Muslim or a terrorist by his detractors, calling attention to his middle name, Hussein. Donald Trump would constantly make public pleas for him to prove to the country that he was born in America, suggesting that he wasn't. This type of treatment Barack and Jackie endured is often referred to as white noise. For all of Barack's eight years in office, the white noise was always there in the background. And for eight years, Barack Obama walked on ice and never fell. What also kept them going was the love and support of their wives. Barack met his future wife, Michelle Robinson, when he was employed at a Chicago law firm. She was his advisor at the firm for three months and joined him at several group social functions. From then on, she would always be by his side. Jackie Robinson's widow, Rachel Robinson, said that it was important for them to feel that no matter what, they couldn't allow any external forces to separate them. It was us against the world, and we enjoyed that and kind of laughed about it and strutted around with that in mind, she said. Barack and Michelle Obama and Jackie and Rachel Robinson were from different times, but in a way experienced the same thing. While discussing the legacy of Jackie Robinson, Michelle Obama even commented that being able to find that solace and that peace to withstand all that negative energy, it's hard to do that alone. There's nothing more important than family, than a real partnership. I think that's a sign of his character, that he chose a woman that was his equal. I don't think he would have had Jackie Robinson without Rachel. And just like Jackie, Barack Obama knew that being the first African-American to do this, he'd have to do the job better and work twice as hard as his white counterparts would have to. Throughout his tenure, he would never be evaluated simply on the basis of being president. 
he inherited a financial crisis and two wars, being knee-deep in one of the worst quagmires any president ever walked into. But what other presidents did or didn't accomplish would be their own legacy. His would reflect on the entire African-American community. And that was Across the Lines. Today in entertainment history, in 1997, The Keenan Ivory Wayans Show, hosted by none other than Keenan Ivory Wayans, premieres on Fox TV. In 2015, Robert Downey Jr. was named the world's highest paid actor by Forbes magazine, earning $80 million. And on that same day, Muppets Miss Piggy and Kermit the Frog announced the end to their relationship on Twitter. And that led me to believe that if they can't make it, who will? Now this portion of the show is where we show appreciation to our haters. Hi haters. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. And fuck you, I'm out. According to NBC News, the US government warned Sweden of negative consequences as it advocated for rapper ASAP Rocky during his trial for assault charges in Stockholm this week, according to a pair of letters released by Swedish Prosecution Authority. Rocky was released from jail on Friday pending the verdict, with President Donald Trump celebrating the news on Twitter. It was a rocky week. Get home ASAP. ASAP, Trump said. The rapper landed back on U.S. soil Saturday, leaving behind him the looming verdict in an episode that has led to an unexpected tension between the U.S. and its European ally. According to the letters obtained by NBC News partner Afton Bladet, the U.S. Special Presidential Envoy for Hostage Affairs wrote to Swedish prosecutors urging them to release Rocky. The government of the United States of America wants to resolve this case as soon as possible to avoid potentially negative consequences to the U.S.-Swedish bilateral relationship, Ambassador Robert O'Brien wrote in the letter dated Wednesday. In response, Sweden's Prosecutor General Petra Lund defended the independence of Swedish courts and said she therefore had to deny O'Brien's request. No other prosecutor, not even I, may interfere with a specific case or try to affect the prosecutor responsible, Lund wrote in a letter dated Thursday. The letters mark the latest intervention by U.S. officials in the case that has commanded the attention of figures ranging from the president to Justin Bieber. Rocky, whose real name is Rakim Myers, was arrested and charged with assault over a street brawl in the Swedish capital on June 30th. Trump began weighing in on the case last month following outcry from celebrities including reality TV star Kim Kardashian West and musician Rod Stewart. Trump said he spoke to the Swedish Prime Minister Stefan Löfven asking for his release and offered to personally vouch for his bail. Löfven responded to Trump's public pressure saying the rapper would not get special treatment and that the judicial system was free to act independently without political sway. The two-time Grammy nominee was in Stockholm headlining Smash X Stadium a two-day hip-hop festival. He was forced to cancel a flurry of shows on his European tour since his July 3rd arrest after a judge determined he would remain in custody because he was a flight risk. He pleaded not guilty on Tuesday as his high-profile trial kicked off. O'Brien attended the hearings this week where Rocky told the court that he tried to handle the dispute peacefully and reasoned with two men who had confronted him before a brawl erupted. The U.S. envoy stressed that Washington was grateful that I got to attend and observe the judicial process in Sweden. 
Following closing arguments on Friday, a judge ordered Rocky to be released from jail pending the verdict. Despite the U.S. offering assurances that Rocky would not leave Sweden if released, the judge ruled that the rapper could leave the country in the interim. Rocky shared an emotional post on Instagram after his release thanking fans for their support during this very difficult and humbling experience. A final judgment in the case is expected to be reached August 14th. Uh, we're supposed to care us hip-hop fans us black people are supposed to care I, I guess we're supposed to look at Donald Trump as a hero now you, you saved ASAP Rocky's day you saved his life I guess this is supposed to make me proud to be an American this is one of those examples of us all coming together to save one of our own right as my homie Mo P would say your skin folk ain't always your kin folk and ASAP Rocky is not one of ours in a 2016 interview, ASAP explained how much he wanted to distance himself from the events that transpired in Ferguson, Missouri, and the Black Lives Matter movement as a whole. This is what he said, and I quote, Why? Because I'm black? So every time something happens because I'm black, I gotta stand up? What the fuck am I? Al Sharpton now? I'm ASAP Rocky. I did not sign up to be no political activist. I don't want to talk about no fucking Ferguson and shit because I don't live over there. I live in fucking Soho and Beverly Hills. I can't relate. I'm in the studio. I'm in these fashion studios. I'm in these bitches drawers. I'm not doing anything outside of that. That's my life. So with that being said, he needed to keep that same energy while he was locked up in Stockholm, Sweden. Cause that sounds like rich nigga problems. I've never been to Stockholm. I've never been to Sweden. I've never been to Europe. What am I? I'm supposed to feel empathetic because a black man was locked up in Stockholm, Sweden? Who am I? Al Sharpton? Those aren't my problems. I'm here in Houston. I drive a dusty Nissan. I have a weekly podcast that I'm supposed to produce and put out every Sunday. That's my life. I'm sorry. I can't relate. ASAP Bukaki further commented in an interview with The Breakfast Club, I just get upset. And what I was really trying to say there was like, Yo, I just hate when bandwagon stuff starts. Bandwagon stuff. Kinda like hashtag free ASAP. He goes on to say, I mean, how come you know when black lives only matter when a police take them, when a police officer takes it? And it should be like, black lives, it should matter when a black life take it. You know what I mean? It should always matter. All lives matter. Here we go, another one of these. <sighs> Okay, ASAP Cocky. All lives do matter. But you know what? When those black people take those black lives, they get found, they get arrested, they get taken to jail. There's a very specific reason why the Black Lives Matter movement started. You said this was a humbling experience, ASAP Crack Rocky. Was it humbling enough for you to see the errors of your ways? Or does it even matter because Big Daddy Trump came and saved you? Or that's what he wants us to believe? And about Trump, is he expecting us to give him a pat on the back? Some Scooby Snacks, a that a boy, an invite to the barbecue? Because in the words of En Vogue, you're never going to get it, 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 never going to get it never get it.
all of this grandstanding you're doing on Twitter? Like, aren't I great? Would you just disable your account, you talking Vienna sausage? Because guess what? We don't care about Donald Trump over here. We don't care about ASAP Rocky over here. Neither of you care about the people. Neither of you care about the culture. You are not for the culture. All of that mess you talk about Mexicans, Donald Trump, while you look like a taquito dipped in queso. This is a failed PR attempt. Maybe the blacks are like me now. No. Not the real ones. Of course you're going to have your Kunye's by your side. Your Steve Harvey's. Your Sheriff Clark's. You're never going to get that invite to the reunion. You're never going to get that seat at the barbecue. It's not going to happen. ASAP Rocky, you turned your back on us. You had the platform to speak out on what's going on, but apparently this doesn't apply to you. You're exempt from black people problems. So when you got locked up, and I will say it was unjust what they did. He didn't deserve to be locked up, but should I be concerned? Hey, that's rich people problems. Let them rich people help him. And he made it back to the States just in time for two mass shootings within 24 hours, only for him to still not care because it doesn't affect him. This, this isn't his problem. He's above the law. He's got bread. But hey, go back out to Europe and fall out of line and see how far that bread gets you. But you'll be all right, though. You got Trump on your side and he'll save the day. Oh, thank you, Trump. Thank you, Donald Trump. Oh, thank you for saving this coonish rapper. I love tap dancing, that's my effing problem. I love being coonish, that's my effing problem. So, you guys like besties now? It's been a rocky week. Get home ASAP, ASAP. Ha ha ha, that's real clever, Donald. I'm sure that killed in the Oval Office. Hey, ASAP, next you should check out Dominican Republic. They've been real welcoming of us Americans lately. And Donald, it's been a real rocky presidency. You should get impeached ASAP. All right, ladies and gentlemen, now, without further ado, this is our first interview here at Over the Culture. Uh, my close personal friend, Barack Obama, found some time on his birthday uh, to do a short, quick interview with us. Check it out. Mr. Obama, Mr. President. Happy birthday, my guy. Thank you for finding time in your busy schedule on your B-Day to come talk with us here at Over the Culture. What did you have planned for the day? Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Stephen. And uh, thank you for having me on your show. Um, it is my birthday. I appreciate the uh, salutations. Congratulations. And uh, you know, basically, look, we, Michelle and I, we didn't have much plan. <laughs> Uh, pretty pretty stoic lifestyle since leaving the White House. Uh, Michelle's going to tend to her garden. We're going to get some exercise, shoot a couple layups early in the day, and uh, probably get myself a good breakfast. Uh, thank you for the Arizona tea, by the way. I wasn't allowed to drink this at the White House, but I'm sipping on one now. Oh, man. Barack, you my dog. Anything for the president. 
So, uh, what did Michelle get you for your B-Days? You know, Sasha, Malia, anybody? Well, she got me a BJ for my B-Day. <laughs> uh, oh. Uh, no, look, I probably, probably didn't appreciate me sharing that, but uh, what I got was uh, a card, you know, at the beginning of the day, wishing me a wishing me a happy birthday from Michelle, uh, Sasha, Malia. Uh, we uh, plan on doing something for the weekend. Uh, of course, Malia had some things she had to catch up with at school. She's very busy. And uh, Sasha, she just, I don't know, she's got a, she's got a boyfriend. She's been acting some type of way. But uh, we, we, we did plan on getting together. And, Mr. President, I got to tell you, man, you and Michelle have done a great job raising those girls. Now, have you been catching up with what's going on with the Democratic race? Uh, yes, I, uh, I have been paying attention. I've been watching the Democrats. Uh, uh, Vice President Joe Biden, uh, Senator Cory Booker, uh, Senator Kamala Harris, uh, Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren, and, and others uh, do what they can and really just get really just get started on the on the process. And I'm excited to see this, the process play out. You think Joe Biden, your guy, got he's got a good shot at it? Well, now, look, I, I think the best, at the end of the day, the best Democrat is going to get the nomination. Uh, I think Joe uh, has uh, plenty going for him in terms of uh, experience in the Oval Office, uh, understanding uh, where uh, real America, where the American people are, are positioned right now uh, economically uh, and as well as, uh, you know, as far as uh, love of country and and, and really just wanting uh, the, the change and the, and the progression that uh, eight years at my administration provided him. Now, you know, obviously there are other people in the race who also worked under my administration, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, for example, uh, as well as uh, uh, Representative Castro. Uh, but look, I, I, I don't have a particular horse in the race. Obviously, uh, uh, Joe and I are very close, but... At the end of the day, I want to see the best Democrat uh, win and represent our party. Yeah. Be the best man or one man win. Yeah. Now, what's it like not having to deal with all that pressure? You know, like, what, what are you doing nowadays? You don't have to deal with being chief in command. Ha, <laughs> well, uh, look, I, I don't miss it. <laughs> you know, I, I'll put it that way. I, I you know, I, I enjoy a good round of golf. Uh, it's nice being able to drive a car and uh, do regular things that regular people do. You know, I, uh, I hadn't been grocery shopping. You know, I get to order things on Amazon and, 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 and just, just live like a, a regular Joe Schmo Obama. You know, so I, 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 I definitely appreciate uh, becoming a private citizen once again, and uh, I'm, I'm making the most of it. I understand that. Seemed like you were a pretty simple Midwestern. Yeah, uh, was that a question? Uh, no, nah, I just an observation. But uh, so like, what do you think of this guy, good old dumb Donald? Because personally, I think he looks like he smells like feet. And if food poisoning could be in human form, I believe it looked like Donald Trump. What's your take? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, uh, look, uh, President Trump is uh, his his own person. Obviously, he represents the Republican Party. Um. We uh, had our 
clashes, both uh, while I was president and as he was running for president, uh, both times. As you recall, he did run in 2012 as well, Shit. briefly. Uh, and, uh, you know, being the president, um, you know, obviously there are some things that I would do differently, such as, you know, not condone racism and uh, not lock kids in cages. But, you know, I, look, I, he's going to represent his party and the constituents that have voted for him. And it's up to the American people to uh, vote him out and rep- bring in a, uh, a person, a man or a woman who, who represents uh, real American values. Because at the end of the day, the, the president, the, the office of the presidency is a, is a, is a moral uh, position. You, you, you're the moral uh, you know, uh, beacon of, of the United States, and, and you represent that in all forms. And so when the president is uh, condoning uh, uh, discrimination, uh, racism, misogyny, uh, or, or any sort of uh, discrimination that goes against the American people, well, uh, the American people are going to have to hold him accountable, or they're going to have to fall in line with that president, and we're going to see what happens uh, at the end of the next year. But uh, right now, you know, it's um, Congress is going to do what they need to do. Um, the American people are going to do what they need to do as far as voting, and uh, we'll see what happens in November 2020. What can only hope, right? <laughs> Now, I don't want to take up too much of your time talking about Dumb Donald. What were you doing before I called, OB? Oh, ah, man. I, I, I wasn't doing much. I, I had, you know, cracked open a book that I was uh, finishing up, currently reading uh, uh, Khloe Kardashian's latest. Uh, I was trying to mix it up a little bit. You know, these weren't books that I was allowed to read uh, in the White House. And so, I, you know, I just trying to figure out uh, where my where my life is you know just trying to trying to trying to develop some new hobbies and um, you know just kind of figure out you know where I am uh, and I'm, I'm having a great time doing it mean you never know where you can get your life lessons from sometimes it can be from a Kardashian member and sometimes it's what not to do <laughs> or that that part now mr. president I know that you've always been for the people you're the people's president you're the people's champ I know you've always been for the culture, always been for the culture. Who are you currently listening to? Uh, yeah. Right now, I, I, I really like, uh, oh man, what's uh, Travis, Travis Scott. I've been listening to a lot of Travis. Uh, it's very lit, as as he would say. Uh, also, yeah. uh, Annie Lennox, I enjoy her. Oh, uh, speaking of her, <laughs> I like her, H-E-R. Uh, Michelle and I, and but yeah, uh, glad glad you caught that. Uh, uh, Michelle and I uh, enjoy her very much, uh, as well as uh, some other bands, some other groups. Beyonce put out a, a documentary on Netflix, uh, which Michelle and I actually have a deal with, so we'll we'll be working on on things behind the scenes and, and that, and and really just uh, you know look just you know just again getting back in touch with pop culture, uh, expanding my horizons, and and getting a chance to listen to some things. And some people that uh, I didn't get to listen to in, in the past several years. So, uh, just catching up on life. Man, that's awesome, man. And I'm sure the girls keep you current on what's going on, with the, what's the current trends and everything. But I don't want to take up too much of your time. And thanks, man. Once again, happy birthday. Thank you. you. rock, man. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, you tell Michelle I said what's up. <laughs> All right.
All right, that wraps up this week's edition of Over the Culture Podcast. I'm going to do things a little bit different this week. Um, instead of having anything playing in the background, just uh, for the next minute, whoever listened to this, I urge you to just, for the next minute, in silence, just think about your grandmother, the memories you had with her. And if you were fortunate enough, your great-grandmother or even your great-great-grandmother. I'm Steve G. To my great-grandmother, Ari B. You'll never be forgotten. Till we meet again. All right, everybody. Y'all stay cool. Peace.